this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to another edition of the in focus podcast i am your host g sampath on august 26th china's ambassador to sri lanka ki zenhong published an article in a sri lankan newspaper in which he drew parallels between american leader nancy pelosi's visit to taiwan and india's objections to chinese tracking vessel yuan wang 5 docking at sri lanka's strategically significant and chinese funded hamban tota port in this article without naming india the chinese ambassador effectively accused india of bullying sri lanka and interfering with its sovereignty by trying to pressurize it over its decision to allow the docking and he concluded his piece by saying that china and sri lanka should join hands to protect their respective sovereignties from countries such as the us and india india's response was sharp in a series of tweets the indian high commission in sri lanka charged the chinese ambassador with within quotes violating basic diplomatic etiquette close quotes so is this entire episode involving india sri lanka and china an outlier event or are we going to see more such confrontations what are sri lanka's options as the geopolitical competition in the indian ocean intensifies between the us and india on one side and china on the other we explore these questions and more in this podcast and we are joined today by anand krishnan our correspondent in china and meera shrinivasan the hindus sri lanka correspondent Anand Meera welcome to Infocus. Thank you Sampath. Thank you Sampath. To start with uh, Anand I was wondering if you can come in on this particular op-ed. One may have assumed that with Sri Lanka giving a deferred permission to this Chinese vessel to dock and the vessel departing from Sri Lanka on August 22nd the whole chapter was closed more or less. So what could have possibly prompted the Chinese ambassador to rake it all up once again by penning this op-ed accusing India of bullying Sri Lanka and undermining its sovereignty. What could possibly be the thinking behind this? You're right Sampath in that the chapter was closed uh, and one can only speculate as to why the Chinese ambassador wanted to make this point. If I could hazard a guess, I think that China made it clear it was very aggrieved uh, at India playing a role in getting this visit deferred, and I think they saw this as a victory for them, a diplomatic victory for them. And it seems clear that China, in this current mood, wants to emphasize that uh, and make a point to India as well. Okay, so you think that the China Chinese believe that they have won this diplomatic battle and they just want to make a display of it. It certainly seems so from the announcement from the Chinese foreign ministry at the time of uh, the visit being granted permission, and now uh, with the Chinese ambassador's article as well. It seems very clear uh, from what I've seen in the Chinese media as well. We should note that they're very keen to signal uh, to their people at home as well uh, that they, in their view, from their point of view, that they thwarted. what they saw as an attempt by india to push back against chinese influence in sri lanka so it seems that they are quite keen to make that point as you said even after at least you and i it seemed that the chapter was closed right uh, mira uh, coming to the sri lankan side while giving uh, its approval to this chinese vessel it had justified it by stating that india had failed to within quotes provide concrete reasons for its concerns security concerns so to speak so what could possibly constitute 
a concrete reason in this context i mean doesn't the sri lankan justification more or less not reflect the chinese foreign ministry's position that india's objection is actually is more or less is completely unjustified that's the chinese position and the sri lankan justification seems to reflect that would you agree right uh, that's a very uh, interesting question uh, sampath because i mean just to also take off from where anant left uh, during the uh, vessel visit and when you know this whole issue was making global headlines neither the chinese embassy in sri lanka nor the indian high commission in sri lanka commented on it it was only beijing and new delhi that was making official comments in regard to this everything else was more or less backroom negotiations now the sri lankan foreign ministry's uh, official statement on this made uh, no mention of uh, the absence of concrete reasons from those objecting to the vessel's visit right its official statement only said uh, having considered all material in place clearance for the deferred arrival of the vessel from august 16 to 22 was conveyed to the chinese embassy in fact its statement did not even name india or the us the two countries that raised concern with colombo However, local media flagged this aspect of India and the US not providing as you said concrete reasons and our own background conversations with diplomatic sources indicated that that could be true that Sri Lanka had conveyed such a position. So we don't know how exactly Sri Lanka arrived at this position but it appears that Colombo was trying hard because it was managing two of its close partners so it was perhaps trying hard to base its message to china on actual evidence so it's just easier to convey it because uh, as we know colombo had initially cleared the visit of a vessel so it was that much harder to sort of go back to that and say hey defer your visit or don't come so in that sense i think reasons that if india or the us had made their reasons more explicit or based on some i don't know satellite mapping or documentary evidence maybe it would have made the job for colombo easier and i think that's what they conveyed when they said give us concrete reasons it was because they were in a very very delicate uh, situation right and what is the general mood in sri lanka's uh, strategic or foreign policy circles do they generally feel that india was being unreasonable in this entire episode in demanding that you know you just make them go away or do they feel that china actually is taking advantage of uh, sri lanka's current position especially its economic crisis and you know overall political crisis as well uh, to sort of uh, get one uh, military objective or whatever it wants to do with this satellite tracking vessel done Sure. Uh, before addressing your uh, specific question, just a little bit of context for our listeners, uh, Sampat. So, uh, Sri Lanka during the visit of this Chinese vessel, which India objected to, was caught in a really, uh, I would say, unenviable geopolitical spot and a diplomatic spot. So, on the one hand, India is a very close partner. for sri lanka and also let's remember the chief source of assistance this year during sri lanka's uh, devastating economic crisis and india has extended nearly 4 billion so the us too is an important player in the scheme of imf negotiations as well as the un un human rights council session that is uh, uh, that will start in september So on the other hand Sri Lanka had to deal with China uh, it had the difficult task of asking a chinese vessel to defer its arrival and this also comes at a time when Sri Lanka is really hoping for china's cooperation in its debt restructure exercise because 
the IMF, whose help Sri Lanka is desperately counting on, has made its support contingent on adequate assurances from creditors on Sri Lanka's debt sustainability. In that sense, all eyes are on China to see whether they will also cooperate in this exercise. Now, although China didn't provide major assistance to Sri Lanka this year, it now has a crucial role to play because of this debt restructure program, as I was telling you, and China along with Japan is Sri Lanka's top bilateral creditor. So far, China has signaled willingness to consider more loans, but on the question of debt itself, it said the ball is in uh, Sri Lanka's court. So this is really the larger context. And, uh, you know, when the vessel actually arrived, we saw visuals of a team of MPs, including some formerly aligned with the Rajapaksas, now identifying as independent. They were there in Hambantota to welcome the vessel. There were no ministers or prominent government officials at the ceremony. Following the controversy, though, uh, we saw some cartoons showing Sri Lanka trapped between China and India, some commentary of that sort. But talking heads and analysts mostly took the position that Sri Lanka could have handled the situation better without openly sympathizing with either China or India. I felt that this time the spotlight was on Sri Lanka's response to a predicament like this rather than what India and China are doing. At least within Sri Lanka, that was the sense I got. Like, how could Sri Lanka have handled it differently? I mean, did Sri Lanka openly sympathize with either India and China, as some of these experts you are saying were saying? Uh, no, uh, basically, Sri Lanka's uh, only official statement on this was very carefully worded, as I said, without even naming the actors who were raising concern with the vessel's visit. But from background, uh, uh, you know, interviews and conversations, what we are picking up is that Sri India had an expectation that Sri Lanka would take a more sort of emphatic position. And Sri Lanka, on the other hand, felt uh, sort of rather pressured from all sides. So those who say Sri Lanka should have handled it better sort of imply that Colombo should have undertaken more backroom negotiations, told India that you know, they've already cleared the visit of the vessel and that India should understand and they will do their best to make sure that there are no threats to Indian security and that sort of thing. So uh, basically, they wanted Sri Lanka to convince both India and China to allow Colombo to take its decisions and not pressure them as much. Right. Moving on to the next uh, aspect of this discussion, uh, Mira, I wanted you to sort of come in on this. The Chinese ambassador's one of the claims in the op-ed is that uh, Sri Lanka overcame aggression from its northern neighbor, within quotes, 17 times. When I was reading it and I was just wondering, what is he referring to? Where did he get this figure from? And is he talking about some kind of mythological text or is there some kind of historiography around it? I just was wondering, what are your thoughts on this uh, kind of a claim? Uh, frankly, Sampatta, I was also um, intrigued by that reference because I'm not aware of any popular source, historical source that cites 17 invasions as he does. But of course, in Sri Lanka, there is a lot of historic uh, uh, investigation and scholarship looking at uh, Indian kings, particularly the Cholas, their time here and different, uh, you know, and that has also played a part in shaping Sri Lanka and the, you know, modern Sri Lanka and the nationalisms as we know within the country. So I'm not really uh, sure what the ambassador uh, was referring to in terms of 17 invasions. Uh, I don't know really. 
Right. Okay. In terms of uh, the Indian High Commission in Sri Lanka, their response, I mean, generally speaking, India's response with regard to anything concerning China is very circumspect. But this time we have really gone all out saying that they don't have basic diplomatic etiquette. Maybe even I think the statement even went on to say maybe it's a personal trait or maybe it's a national attitude which doesn't give any kind of respect for or regard to diplomatic etiquette. So what what does India hope to gain from such a strongly worded response? Is it some kind of a muscle flexing display aimed more at Sri Lanka rather than a message targeted at China, do you think? Uh, as I told you, the Indian mission uh, had not commented officially on this vessel visit until this Twitter thread, right? So the, all the earlier statements came from uh, Delhi at MEA briefings. So the language did surprise and even perhaps shock many in Sri Lanka uh, because the tweets were clearly uh, uncharacteristic and they were seen as uncharacteristic. So the Chinese ambassador connecting uh, Pelosi's visit to Taiwan with the visit of the Chinese vessel, uh, the Indian mission has said is a giveaway of its uh, strategic motivations. That and the reference to this 17-time invasion that you asked me about seem to have been the real provocation. And it only appears to me that India wanted to register its disapproval strongly and uh, I'm not sure it was targeted at Sri Lanka really. I think they were speaking to China, but they were also in a way uh, making their position known to Sri Lankans, basically almost as if to say, hey, if we are sort of challenged or criticized, this is how we will take it. And as far as I know, China is yet to respond to that uh, take of Indian High Commission. Right. And one of the points which come in at the end of this op-ed is, is this reference to the UN Human Rights Council meeting in Geneva next month. And the op-ed sort of hints at it saying that Sri Lanka's human rights track record is likely to come up again and most of the West uh, may hold uh, try to hold Sri Lanka accountable, put it in a spot. And China too has faced a similar kind of uh, targeting. I wouldn't say maybe not targeting, but you know, cut attention at this forum before over Xinjiang uh, human rights issues there. And it has even said that human rights could be used within courts as a cover-up tool to interfere in Lanka's internal affairs. What exactly is being alluded to by bringing up human rights uh, in this kind of a context? Is it like uh, hinting at China's influence or veto power in this regard? Or like what is going on here? So there is a resolution expected this September on Sri Lanka on pending post-war accountability and justice. And uh, more recently, the UN has repeatedly drawn attention to uh, recent violations in the context of the people's resistance during this economic crisis. And you know what rights advocates in Sri Lanka fear is a crackdown or a witch hunt. So and... Uh, you know, there's a likely vote on this resolution as well. And more than before, this time how countries vote on Sri Lanka may be a sort of precursor to their likely position on economic support going forward. So the EU, as we know, already connects rights issues with trade incentives such as GSP+, which Sri Lanka considers crucial for its exports. The US, Canada, Germany, UK are among a core group on Sri Lanka leading the resolution. India and China are important members with the power to influence others. So China has consistently supported Sri Lanka at international fora, including the Human Rights Council. So the Chinese ambassador's article uh, significantly was silent on Beijing's response to Sri Lanka's request for debt restructure. 
but it effectively assured support to sri lanka once again at the human rights council it it sort of reaffirmed you know usual support and uh, it was very interesting because uh, i don't know the motivations of the chinese ambassador to bring that up in this particular piece that was talking about taiwan and this vessel visit but the timing is interesting because it's just week before the resolution and in a way it was positioning itself as Sri Lanka's trusted partner and in fact accusing others countries near and far was the word he used to bully Sri Lanka he accused them of bullying Sri Lanka while China on the other hand would support so it was interesting i mean they haven't commented on debt which Sri Lanka is waiting to hear about but he assured support at the council which was almost a given anyway and uh, in any case as many in Sri Lanka repeatedly note i mean if human rights were well respected within the country there should be no reason for sri lanka to be pulled up in any international forum and uh, we know all international forums come with their own geopolitical motivations and that is how these big actors come into play i suppose right so uh, uh, coming to the chinese side uh, you know their perspective on this anand india's stance on this entire episode has been based on the assumption that this is a chinese military vessel whereas china has been claiming it's a scientific research related uh, ship and so on and some reports have even suggested that this ship could provide tracking support for the pla's intercontinental ballistic uh, missiles So given this uh, vessel was headed uh, for a particular part of the Indian Ocean northern and western Indian Ocean uh, and there is also a lot of uh, sort of geopolitical posturing happening around the Indian Ocean in general uh, we have the quad which whose objective is uh, stated or unstated to contain China in the Indian Ocean so what are China's interests in the northern and western Indian Ocean actually you're right sampath that China has called this a scientific research vessel but from what i've seen i think it's very clear that it is a military vessel according to even chinese websites uh, the un wang 5 uh, from what i've seen on chinese websites is part of the fleet of the people's liberation army strategic support force so i think it's quite clear that it's a military operated vessel even if it may have both military and non military uses uh, by that i mean sampat uh, the non military part of it could be part of china's space program tracking satellites that's something that chinese media reports have said but as you also pointed out that same sort of facilities enable it to also track missile launches and tests not just by china but by other countries as well uh, and i think that was one of the concerns india had is that that was ostensibly why the un wang 5 as well as other un wang ships in the fleet make journeys or frequent visits to the indian ocean which is not only for scientific purposes but to track what other militaries are doing so in that sense sampat i think there is uh, some justification uh, for being concerned about the military dimensions of this visit uh, even if the claim from china was this was purely scientific right i mean and what, what about uh, china's strategic objectives in the indian ocean as such i think that uh, even if the 115 was one reason for india to be concerned there's much larger Uh, i think longer term uh, challenges from china which india has to address this is the least of it sampat uh, by that i mean that china already has opened one overseas military facility in the indian ocean which is in djibouti in the eastern coast of africa uh, china is rapidly building a blue water navy uh, it's producing more ships than any other country in the world um, it's it will soon have three aircraft carriers uh, fully operational Uh, and from plans that chinese naval experts have said 
They plan to have six aircraft carriers, including having at least one fleet permanently deployed in the Indian Ocean. And that will be a significant challenge to the current dynamics in the Indian Ocean. And all while India's Navy is struggling with the modernization program and is struggling with the lack of funds. So I think the Yuan Wang 5 got a lot of attention, but it is the least of the challenges from China, which I think is a longer term challenge. And in terms of what they want, Sampath, I think it is a cognizance in China that the Indian Ocean region is a weak point for China because it is very key uh, for many of its energy imports, while at the same time they feel they're exposed there. They don't have a deployment there uh, in in the sense that they have in China's near waters. So they're building towards changing that situation. I think that's their longer-term plan there, which is to have a kind of permanent deployment of the PLA Navy uh, in some shape or form in the Indian Ocean, as well as several bases to sustain that kind of permanent deployment. Right. One final question on this particular topic. Now, you spoke about uh, China's ambitions, uh, strategic ambitions in the Indian Ocean, how they're trying to build a, a fleet entirely for this region. But coming to Sri Lanka in particular, you know, India is geographically, historically and culturally much closer to Sri Lanka than China. And it also has the additional leverage of recently having provided uh, massive uh, debt relief. Mira spoke of $4 billion. That's a huge amount of uh, aid. Does India acting on its own terms with complete strategic autonomy, as as we did, for instance, with importing oil from Russia, even after sanctions on Russia, and not acting only as an instrument of the U.S.'s strategic goal of containing China. Do we really have much to worry about a Chinese vessel in Hambantota any more than the Sri Lankans themselves have to do about it? I don't think India can be completely unconcerned, Sampath, by uh, Chinese naval uh, or an increasingly frequent Chinese naval presence in Sri Lanka. Uh, I think for one, regardless of uh, India-U.S. relations, and I think regardless of the level of India's engagement with the Quad, what I've just previously mentioned about China's longer-term ambitions for the region, I think will remain unchanged. I don't think it's the case that China will, say, go slow on, on improving or deepening its relations in India's near neighborhood if India, say, goes slow on the Quad. I don't think so. I think China has its own long-term plans and works towards that. Uh, and I think that we have seen from what China has been doing in India's near neighborhood whether it's in uh, Nepal or whether it's in Sri Lanka or even to some degree or lesser degree in Bangladesh, its efforts in Bhutan, which I think haven't been very successful. I think it's very clear that China wants to push back on Indian influence. I frequently hear from Chinese strategic commentators here a sense of frustration that they feel India regards its near neighborhood as a sphere of influence. And I think China is working to dilute that influence. And obviously for India, which is why I said India can't be unconcerned, is if it does say it's going to accept an increasingly frequent Chinese military presence here, India will be essentially acquiescing uh, to a different status quo uh, in terms of China's military presence. And the same would go for China's political presence and China's economic presence. So I think it's not something that India can be entirely unconcerned about, because I think we should be clear that, that of course, China wants to have relations with all of these countries on its own terms. It wants to have relations with Sri Lanka that are good and in the interests of both China and Sri Lanka. But I think there's an undeniable dimension here, Sampat, that a part of uh, China's goals here are also to dilute India's influence and presence. 
Right. Uh, one final question before we wind up. Amira Anand spoke uh, uh, in great detail just now about uh, China's strategic goals in the Indian Ocean region. Now, as the geopolitical competition in the Indian Ocean, in the Indian Ocean region uh, between China on the one hand and US, India, Quad, etc. on the other hand, as it heats up, which it is very likely to do. You also spoke earlier about Sri Lanka being in a very tight spot here, caught between differing factions, pressures. What are Sri Lanka's options in the short term, given the very deep economic crisis it is in right now and over the long term? Will Sri Lanka be taking its cues, for instance, from how India has been responding to Chinese inroads in Ladakh, where clearly one can see which way uh, the power equation is weighted? Right. I mean, Sri Lanka has always has maintained that it's that it values a foreign policy of non-alignment, but its slants are obvious and sort of hard to miss over the years. So Sri Lanka's options now are uh, especially pertinent in the context of its reliance on IMF support, as I told you. The economic crisis, which is persisting and for many deepening, uh, China's virtual absence from the scene this year and India stepping in with unprecedented aid. All these factors merit attention. As always, Sri Lanka, I think, needs all its partners. Even if IMF support comes in, Sri Lanka will have to closely work with China as one of its top bilateral creditors and historically a very close and big partner. In the short term, I think Sri Lanka, as we discussed, has a very complex terrain to navigate. Firstly, it has to convince China to play ball on the debt question, convince India and the West that their interests matter and are taken care of, and convince the IMF that they are creditworthy again. Sri Lanka's foreign policy choices and the way it engages with multilateral and bilateral partners over the next few months is going to be critical for these reasons. And uh, in the long term, uh, as we know, Sri Lanka has set admirable standards in the region, whether it's public health, free education up to university and so on. And we know Sri Lanka also set a regional precedent in liberalizing its economy in, in the 70s. But of course, that is under scrutiny now in the wake of this crisis. So Sri Lanka's sovereignty clearly depends on its ability to bring down its reliance on foreign rules, foreign loans and external credit and build on its strengths, including its strategic location and resources. And, you know, the consensus among foreign policy analysts, even within Sri Lanka, is that Colombo should not resort to playing one major power against another. Rather, it should work with its partners and uh, set its own terms. And uh, as the recent People's Uprising emphasized, Sri Lanka must also strengthen its domestic and economic, uh, domestic economy and political structures to create a more equal and just society because we see increasingly that the domestic and global spheres are not really mutually exclusive. So that's where I think Sri Lanka's uh, interest lies and foreign policy analysts, former diplomats and bureaucrats and progressive sections within Sri Lanka want that kind of agency and sovereignty for Sri Lanka. Right, you're absolutely right there. I mean, one one can clearly see that uh, domestic uh, economy and the political structures, if they had been more or less robust, Sri Lanka would not be finding itself uh, in this kind of a situation today. It would probably have far more uh, strength to sort of tackle these kinds of crisis situations in a different way as well. Thank you so much, uh, Meera. Thank you, Anand, for joining us and for sharing your thoughts and insights on this episode. Thank you, Sampath. Thank you so much, Sampath. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. 
just search for in focus by the hindu we'll see you soon